Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome, everybody, to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Hey, there is a new free financial guide out there. It outlines the basic steps you can take to create that money blueprint for yourself. And it answers many, many questions that you might have about money that seem pretty basic. You know, like, how much money should I set aside for emergencies? The guide says three to six months. Or how much insurance protection should I insure myself up to? You know, people are always wondering, how much is enough? The guide says it varies between nine times your annual income if you're thinking about things to do with death, uh, four times your annual income if you're thinking about critical illness. Maybe you're even thinking, hmm, how much of my monthly paycheck should I be putting aside to invest? So the guide says, 10%. Put together by the Monetary Authority of Singapore and Money Sense in collaboration with a host of other good people like CPF, the Association of Banks in Singapore, the Association of Financial Advisors and Life Insurance Association, LIA. Uh, this guide has come to be. It's now out there and I think it's useful because it gives us like KPIs, right? We all need some sort of guidance, concrete targets for insurance, for investments, for how much you should save. And it also highlights government schemes that can be useful. For example, if you're a full-time NS man, you might want to look at the part of the guide that talks about Ministry of Defense and Ministry of Home Affairs group term insurance policies that are applicable to you. Also, I like the guide because it comes in six versions. There isn't, you know, one be-all and end-all uh, guide to life. I wish there was, but there isn't. And even this one comes in six different iterations and they're all tailored to where you are in your life. So maybe you're a fresh entrant, there's a guide for you. Maybe you're a working adult with young children, there's one for you. Or maybe you're a working adult supporting older parents. Um, the guide has been tweaked for you. It reminds me of those life cycle of a mosquito life cycle things we used to study about in school you know the larvae and then it becomes a mosquito different parts of your life cycle uh the the guide speaks to different aspects of people as they go through life i like that so you can download this from a website the guide i'll give you the address at the end of the show to make sure that you stay with me but i thought today we'd put this new terrific financial guide to use and we're going to look further at how you can customize it for yourself with my friend elijah lee who is senior financial services manager philip securities hey elijah good morning Good morning. So, MES strongly advises financial advisory firms to refer to this guide in financial planning conversations with customers. Do you think this is useful? Well, I do think for a start, the guide uh, does set some ground rules, you know, for what you need in financial planning. Except that, of course, um, because financial planning is so customized, I would think that everyone's situation is going to be different. And that also means that your what you need, you know, will might easily deviate from the guide. So I'm just going to use uh, one example. The guide said set aside three to six months of expenses for emergency funds, right? Mm-hmm. I actually disagree. Okay, <laughs> I good. actually disagree. Yeah, I in in this time and age, right? Okay, so three to six months. Um, frankly speaking, if you were to even you would go with 
the upper bound number six months. Now, I uh, and this is speaking from experience. Many years ago, I used to be working in corporate, and um, I actually had a friend but retrenched right after he got married and settled his BTO renovations. It was actually quite tough, a tough period for him, and he actually ran out of money. Mm-hmm. He had to borrow from his wife to keep himself going. And this was despite having the fact that he had, I think, maybe six to eight months of um, personal expenses saved up. Wow. Because he was actually out of a job for 15 months. Oh, wow. He did so yes. well. Six and, and to eight months 20, saved up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he had about eight months saved up. You know, good. if you look at the guy, you'll be like, well, okay, I'm meeting that six months that the guy rec- uh, recommends, right? However, that's not um, necessarily the case for everyone. He mm. actually ran out of money. You know, he didn't borrow money from here, but he, he had to, like, his wife had to chip in and, and help him out with his, like, even his food and, and, and his basic expenses for a while mm. before he managed to find himself um, a, another job. And, and, of course, after that, things he had to rebuild things. Uh, having said that, you know, he took 15 months to get a job, and this was in 2015. Yeah, inflation was very because, different then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, mm. so the thing is, you know, you might actually take longer than you think to uh, uh, land a new job if, let's say, you lost your job. And if you are, you know, going for interviews and all that and you're not landing any uh, offers and your uh, cash reserves are dwindling, mm-hmm. you go feel that pressure. Mm. You might even end up performing poorly at interviews just, be- just be- due to desperation or something. And and that can actually affect your, your chances of getting a job. So... so you're yeah. saying three to six months isn't adequate, and if you can, you want us to stretch to 15 months? Well, I would actually say the more the merrier. Of course, uh, one thing, of course, is just make sure that you don't leave all of that in the bank account. Uh, you, uh, the guy does say that you could set this aside in saving account and Singapore savings bonds, which I do agree. And of course, in the current context of high inflation, uh, you can even leave it in things like a money market fund, which where the risk is minimal, but you're getting like... Uh, 3% on your money, which is what most money market funds are giving nowadays. So ultimately, I think this must be viewed in the context of a few things. First thing is how easily you think you can land a job if you lose uh, yours. And of course, uh, another factor is sometimes we look at this number three to six months and then we, let's say we, we say, okay, I go for 12 months and then you say I start 12 months and then you don't look at it again. However, you know, with changing life um, stages, right, your 12 months of expenses as a singer, is probably a very different number from 12 months of expenses as, say, a parent. So we got to review this figure as well from time to time to remain that to make sure that that 12 months remains relevant. So when I was single, 12 months was probably something like oh, $20,000. Now as a, a homeowner, 12 months of expenses is not just my own expenses, the household expenses, what about the mortgage? So all these things need to be taken into account. Okay, yeah. so your broader point is <clears throat> this guide is good, but there are areas that you maybe want to think about more deeply in reference yes. to your own needs. And I think that's really Correct. useful that you're doing that. Yes. Um, are there other areas you think we can, uh, you know, sort of expand on? So you think benchmark for emergency savings needs to be rethought. What about investing 10% of income? Is that realistic for many of us? 10% of your monthly paycheck should go towards investments. How's that as a rule? Well, I think that has a lot of room for interpretation. I have come across people who are so tight every month that they, well, they, they just have no spare cash to invest. Mm. So for such circumstances, right, well, there's nothing wrong. I, I just advise them that, you know, of course, they do need to relook at um, their expenses first. 
what can be chopped, what what's really a necessity and what is a want. However, if there's even no room to even squeeze out that, right, then sometimes I feel that, you know, maybe they might be underpaid at their job. You know, they might be they might want to look at um, uh, moving on to a better paying job, especially if their skills are in demand. And and from there, you know, we introduced this concept of lifestyle, uh, lifestyle creep, right? If you get a higher paying job, it doesn't mean that you have to spend more. You should try to spend the same amount so that you have more free cash flow to invest. And on the other side, I also have met very uh, high income earners who don't really have a lot of expenses. So you'd be surprised, but I know this person who is actually investing around 40% of her income. And and that's very good, actually. Because, wow. you know, the more that you can invest, uh, the, the faster you build your wealth, right? So so it varies from person to person. I think 10% is actually a good relative benchmark. Uh, most people should be able to find room for that 10%. Although, personally, my own guidelines are try to budget 20% for that. How you invest it, whether you invest it at all, all at one shot is another thing. Some people do dollar cost averaging. Some people just set aside that money for, you know, their financial goals. For example, if you were to want to buy some stocks, you know, 10% off, say maybe maybe 10% is $500. Now, I wouldn't recommend buying stocks with just $500 every month. If you're looking for a good entry price, you might want to save like $5,000 and then you buy, you know, when the market is down. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you can't set that fire aside every month in, say, uh, a war chest, you know, and, and leave it till the markets are ready for you. So 10%, I feel that that's actually a pretty reasonable goal. But of course, if you can do more, you, you should. Okay, yeah. you know, we're, we're a show for uh, beginner investors, right? So here's a question that comes your, has come your way. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned a money market fund. What is it? Okay, a money market fund is basically uh, a fund that invests in money market instruments. So we're looking at things like uh, fixed deposit, T-bills, very, very short-term duration instruments. So this uh, is slightly different from, say, a bond fund, which would invest in a bond then maybe issued by corporates. Yeah, I, I, I you see a fair bit of terminology here, but uh, basically money market funds, they are invested in very, very short-term instruments and the returns will quite closely match current uh, interest rate environment. So you are looking at about 3%. So the thing is, of course, to, to note that there is definitely an uh, element of risk here. It's not as safe as, for example, a savings account or fixed deposit. However, a good place to park spare cash if needed. Lah. How liquid yeah. is it? Well, you can get out of most money market funds in uh, less than a few days. I, I Okay, um, I'm from Philip, right? So we have this Philip money market fund that, that people can invest in. It's actually, you can get out of it within a day, if I remember correctly. You can get your funds back within a day. Hmm. Working day. Yeah, so quite liquid. Contrast this, of course, to Singapore Savings Bond, where you need up to a month before you can actually get your funds back. Mm. There's nothing wrong to put some money there. So I'd say it's about the allocation. You should have some in uh, your savings accounts, some in your SSBs. You can even put some in money market funds. Yeah. Okay. Anything else in this guide that you think, mm, you know, you, you should think a little bit more broadly about? <clears throat> yeah, I do, actually. Uh, the protection bit, um, is good that they've come out and said that, okay, get nine times your annual income for death and TBT coverage, get four times your annual income for critical illness coverage. And in fact, actually, the four times annual income, I'm guessing this comes from LIA because they've always been advocating that the average Singaporean, and take note, average is really the average. So they have said that, they have said before that it should be about 3.9 times. So four times is about right for me. Mm-hmm. However, we also need to take into account that this is the average Singaporean. And average means the midpoint, right? So 50% of Singaporeans might need more and, you know, some may even need less. So it again comes down to individual circumstances. I, I, I feel like this 
nine times and four times figure is really to get people thinking about the fact that that's coverage that they need. However, the exact amount will, of course, once again, vary. So, for example, um, if let's say you have two parents and two kids and they have a mortgage, so you go and do the nine times annual income uh, calculation for the parents and then you realize that, hey, like this amount will probably just about cover 80% of the mortgage that they have. Let's see. Well, then we really need to think the account, what if um, one of the parents already is gone and then that nine times annual income is paid out, the family is still left with a few things to take care of. First thing, there's 20% of the mortgage left over. Second thing, the kids still need money to continue, right? Uh, their lifestyle, the family, still, the household still needs money. What if, you know, your intention was that if one party is gone and you want the other party to be able to take time off work, then this nine times annual income might not be sufficient. It could even be like, you might need even 14 times annual income or even more. So that's just, I guess it's a talking point, right? Because if you were to ask me, if let's say I had kids and one day I'm no longer around, first thing first, of course, I want the entire mortgage to be paid off. I definitely want enough money left behind so that my kids are able to go from wherever they are all the way up to adulthood without uh, having my wife to stress about having to bring home the bacon. Because definitely when you're in the industry or the household is cut by half or more, you know, there's a lot of additional stresses on that. So definitely, my bad annual income is a good figure. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just that everyone's circumstances is probably going to mean that you have to sit down and actually work the figure out for your own situation. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, so you want to think about your insurance about. protection. Yes. Uh, and maybe sit down with your spouse and decide. And uh, work the figure out, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Anything else? I don't think there's anything really controversial. No, it isn't controversial. Uh. Mm. I, I feel like it's, it's good to uh, have as a starting point for financial planning discussion. As you mentioned, you know, it's strongly recommended that firms refer to the guide. Again, I, I, I'm thinking more of that wording and refer, you know. So we do, we, we actually, all these guidelines, as a financial advisor, I've been, uh, I have guidelines, of course, for emergency funds, protection investments. And now that it has sort of been set in stone, it's a good benchmark. It's a good reference point. However, um, the nuances of financial planning properly suggest that for every individual out there, this guide has to be and has to take into account that situation. So the figures are probably going to be very, very different. I personally um, feel that, okay, at least for the emergency funds, but definitely it's got to be more than six months for most people. Yeah. For protection, four times annual income, yeah, that's great. But that TBD cover, I've seen the figure very greatly. Especially in light of, um, okay, you, you know how house prices are rising. People have to make, take bigger mortgages. Nine yeah. times annual income may not quite cut it anymore. Yeah. Wow. Really? Yeah. So I think thought. that's nine years of a buffer for your spouse to get on their feet and yeah. help out with the mortgage it, midway. Correct. However, what if you could wipe out the entire mortgage by getting the right amount of cover? Yes, but so how much are you going to pay for, for that family? coverage every month that's going to eat into your ability to live life now? Well, actually, I do think good insurance coverage can be obtained within 10% for most people. But for families who also need to ensure that their children are protected, you know, 15% is actually a good amount. I, I think it's actually very, very feasible. Actually, some 15% plans for, of your income should go to... Yeah, for, for an entire family, covering not just the breadwinners, uh, or, or not just the husband and wife, but also the kids. Okay. It's very doable. 
is very, very doable. Okay. Uh, if you are individual, mm-hmm. I think 10% is good for a start, frankly, not 15%. Mm-hmm. Most coverage I've done up for working young working adults who are not married, mm-hmm. the 10% figure is very doable. Very, very doable. I just feel that, um, of course, we there, there's definitely room to interpret the guide. Lah. So we need to be... Consumers need to be flexible. Lah. Just because the guide said nine times and then you know you, you stick with it, I, I don't think that's quite right. You have to consider individual circumstances. Lah. But definitely, the activity coverage is cheap. I can say that for sure. Of course... What is uh, cheap? Sorry? Death and TVD coverage, it, it's very, very cheap. We have a term plan. Oh, Okay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially, okay, for myself, of course, I have the SAF group insurance. That's one layer. Mm. Uh, personally, I have 2 million death TVD coverage. I get 1 million from SAF group term because that's the limit anyway. And I get another 1 million from my own personal term plan. So I got 2 million. And this is not my time for annual income. It's more than that. Mm. So I, that's why I can say that. Nine times annual income, good for a start, but something that we have to evaluate in light of the entire situation. Okay. Yeah. We're scribbling down all the numbers here in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) Joining us this morning is my friend Elijah Wee. Elijah is Senior Financial Services from Philips Securities, Elijah Lee. Uh, We've been discussing a new guide that Singaporeans can use to create their own financial plan. I think it's great because it gets conversations like this started, you know? You can sit down with your spouse and chat about it over dinner and argue about, you know, what you think is adequate or not. And if you would like to get the guide, frankly, all you need to do, because I looked at the um, website it's a little bit involved. So just type in Straits Times financial plan of new guide and you should be able to get it, okay? Get your hands on, on this particular financial plan. Or you can head to the Money Sense website. They have it there as well under the very basic sort of title. It's called The Basic Financial Planning Guide. I'm sorry it's not a more catchy title, but that's what it is. The Basic Financial Planning Guide. Download it from the Money Sense website. Okay? All right. So I hope we've covered that satisfactorily. Next, I wanted to discuss this article I came across that says the financial advisory may be in danger of extinction because uh, financial advisors seem to be feeling the heat from competition. And when I say competition, I mean of the robo-advisories and maybe also competition in terms of uh, other advisors because consumers seem to be quite demanding in their questions. So first question to you, Elijah, do you think that the financial financial advisory could be going the way of, say, the tourist um, booking agency? Okay, so at this point, I bring up this concept of transactional and relational. Mm. So, uh, okay, let's take stock booking, for example. Frankly speaking, stock booking is a very transactional uh, job. Would you agree, right? We yeah. last time stock brokers used to take orders over the phone and then they placed the orders for their clients. Mm-hmm. So of course with the advent of the internet and, and um, um, online trading platforms, commissions have to come down and that is why nowadays uh, stock brokers have to find other ways to add value. So they got to move from transactional to relational. So likewise, um, if I'm transactional, if all, I, I, all I'm here to do for you is to help you, say, source for a cheap term plan or a cheap life plan with CI and get you set up, then yes, my value proposition is hardly there. However, uh, I don't view myself as transactional. I view myself as relational, right? Um, what I would strive to do is to build these very deep relations with all my clients. Uh, so if I can build that deep relation, 
clients come back to me not just for financial advice, mind you, but for all kinds of advice. I even have clients <laughs> asking me that, uh, hey, my, my son is now going to work. Uh, uh, you mentioned that your brother works in IT. Do you have any um, 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 advice for me since seeing that? You know, my son is working in IT and your brother oh. works in IT. And I'm like, well, okay, I don't mind having a short chat with you, although this is not my primary area. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I have a chat, you know, and I just tell them, look, look my brother works in this and, and, and you can expect that. Um, okay, I'm also time asking, oh, what can I get? Oh, the pay is like this. Oh, the, you know, this thing. No, so they see you then. as the go-to guy who has all yes. the answers. Well, I don't have all the answers. Unfortunately, and, yeah. Yeah, no one has, <laughs> but uh, I I try to get them as much answers as I can. Of course, I do uh, understand that um, in the end, yeah, I become the go-to guy, but I think this is really because of relations and, and the conversations I have. And yeah, but how do, you feel, how do you feel hmm? when you hear that? companies as uh, big it, as Grab Invest have closed. I mean, before you blinked, Grab Invest was out. Yeah, you know, initially, wow, yeah. initially they're trying to get my money, you know, with all these offers. <laughs> and then the next thing I know, they're closed. <laughs> or, or Money Owl has thrown in the towel. You know, big, yeah, um, big names like this. How does that make you feel about the whole I, sector? I, I actually I feel a bit sad. Money Hour had uh, a good value proposition. They wanted mm. to do to to engage the masses for financial planning. The thing is, uh, where we are now, at least in Singapore, uh, a lot of mass market consumers will likely not see a lot of value in that. Which is why, if you recall the article that came out when Money Hour was closing, they did mention a statistic whereby. Money Hour had a database of something like almost 90,000, yeah. but less than 10,000 people engaged them over five years mm-hmm. for planning. Mm-hmm. And that just, just goes to show that um, um, many people are actually reluctant, to be frank. Many, many people are very reluctant to take action or they may not place enough priority or emphasis on financial planning. Uh, I think I mentioned this at the last show, uh, but you know, if we are going to do a regular checkup for our health, you yeah. know, why are we doing the same thing for our financial health? Well, right? I think I think to your point about, you know, not a, a lot of people want the service. But at the same time, we're seeing the number of financial advisors grow, you know. There were a few um, hundred in the early 2000s and now it's over 5,000 currently. So there's demand for it, right? I mean, I would say that the number of independent financial advisors representing IFA firms would have grown yeah, over yeah, the years. Yeah, yeah. This was not something that was very... It wasn't a very big number in, in the early 2000s. And now we're like, as you mentioned, over 5,000. Mm. I would think maybe we want to look at this in context of not just the IFAs, but Thai agents and bank representatives as well. I do think that number has actually somewhat stayed flat. I don't have the statistics to back me up, but I recall reading it that you know, the numbers are somewhat flat. But of course, the demand for financial planners being able to represent you know, a greater variety of firms has increased, uh, which is why the IFA numbers have increased over the years. Ultimately, I think the value proposition that we bring to the table uh, is relational. Mm-hmm. It has to be relational. It cannot be transactional or we'll go the way of the dodo. So it's the conversations that I hold uh, with my clients yeah, that, yeah. that make them want to come back to me for just about anything under the sun. Although I may not always be the most qualified person, but I can often try to get them the answers that they seek. Well, that's and why we I keep think... coming back to you, Elijah. <laughs> because we like the answers. And I'm sorry, but we have to leave it there because we're coming up against the news, Elijah. Thank you so no much problem. for joining us this morning. Can I just end with one thing? Sure. Yeah, I, I'll just say that what's my value is to know the needs before the needs are even needed. 
Listen, most people want a husband like that as well, Elijah. So <laughs> that's a very yeah. good point and a great way to end the show. Uh, anticipatory, uh, someone who can anticipate the needs. Uh, wouldn't you want that in a financial advisor? I know I do. Elijah Lee is Senior Financial Services Manager from Philips Securities. We're coming up to the news. I have to end here. Thanks for joining us on Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play. 